Welcome. My name is Natasha Sherman, and I am your host. And my guest today is Donna Zitko. She is a counselor and advocate at Woman Space. And I want to tell you a little bit about Woman Space. Woman Space is a leading not-for-profit agency that provides a wide array of services to individuals impacted by domestic and sexual violence. It is the only agency with staff specifically trained to assist victims of domestic violence and sexual assault in Mercer County. Donna, welcome. Thank you. That's a heavy duty job. It certainly is. Yes, so you're one component of women's space and you're one of the people who counsels women who have shown up there, yes? Yes. So let's talk a little bit about defining uh, domestic violence and because I think it's very easy for women to talk themselves out of uh, admitting that they are uh, victims of domestic violence. I think it's not only, it's not just not admitting, not really recognizing what it is, because it's all about power and control. That's what domestic violence is all about, power and control. It instills fear in a person, fear for many different reasons. And it escalates all over the course of time Sometimes it starts very minimally, very pervasively, and over the course of time, it intensifies and it becomes um, more hard to, to deal with. Um, the victim eventually begins to feel powerless due to the abuser's use of isolation, um, domination, and demeaning um, words and actions. And sometimes they don't realize, they think there is something wrong with them. You know, I, it's so hard for those of us who haven't experienced mm -hmm. it to say, are you kidding? The man beat you or whatever it is. And yet I recently saw this uh, TED talk of this woman who I think wrote a book and she had been um, a victim of domestic violence. And she described it and she said he had beaten her, thrown her down the stairs, held a gun to her head. And she said, if anybody had ever asked her and said, are you a victim of domestic violence? She would have actually said no. And she said, she, what she would have said was, she was deeply in love with a profoundly troubled man and she was the only one who could save him. Ironically enough, I saw the same video. I thought it was very well done and, and it really, I actually saved it on my computer. Um, and it's so true because sometimes the victim feels that they are the only one that can help them, that they've had an abusive childhood, they're under stress at work, um, other pressures, but never willing to acknowledge that it's really an abuse issue. Right. And um, they think they can change them, but it's a choice. Yeah, and you know, she described it kind of, and I suspect there's, um, different patterns, but the pattern was, you know, first of all, he was overly attentive, just, you know, made her his world. Mm -hmm. And uh, she felt very cared for, very loved. And then I think the night before the wedding, he beat her up. And so then she, you know, again, profoundly sorry and believed that this was an only one-time thing and he had had that terrible childhood and how could she reject him? And 
But I think from my understanding is what happens is that after a while, the, it's almost like brainwashing that you start to believe that you don't deserve better. Is that the case? Well, it's systematic breaking down. That's what it is. It's systematically kind of breaking down um, the person's um, sense of self, sense of worth. It's not because they don't have self-esteem. A lot of our clients do have self-esteem. But because of the abuse, they begin to question themselves. And that's where the powerlessness mm. comes from. Okay. Um, this woman that you, you spoke about, this, this video, um, he also took her away to a far distant place. He isolated her first mm -hmm. before he really continued with the intense abuse that, he, that she speaks about on that video. Right. So he took her away from yes, her family. Which is what I said, it's isolation. Yeah. And lots of times also what happens with, with our clients, and we do see men, by the way, not mm -hmm. just women, um, is that um, they become very fearful. Fear is the base for a lot of the reason why our clients stay with the abuser because there's fear of they might get hurt, this fear of their children being taken away, this fear of homelessness, fear of not being able to put food on the table, fear of judgment. So that, that, that fear encapsulates most of, of why women, or I should say the victim, stays in a relationship. Yeah, and... Um and I guess that keeps growing. The thing, uh, one of the things that they talked about was that women are more likely to be harmed after they leave, the, they're in danger of being harmed after they leave the abuser because now he has, he or she has nothing to lose. That's right. So, so yeah. go ahead. So, so what happens is uh, one of the things that a victim can do is if they choose to, is get a restraining order. Mm -hmm. And whether you watch TV or you listen to the radio, if you hear stories about domestic violence and, and, and a victim being, being killed, it's usually after they get a restraining order. And so when a client comes in and we ask them that question, I usually know why, why they haven't, but I need them to say it verbally to me that they fear that what might happen to them is more severe than if they don't get the restraining order. Because what happens is when they stay in that relationship, they begin to manage the behavior of the abuser. They know exactly how to keep that person calm and they walk on eggshells. You've heard of the expression, yes, they walk yes. on eggshells. So um, it's very complex. It's a very complex um, dynamic that is hard to understand for the average person. Yes. Um, question that I was going to ask you flitted through, but I do want to ask you, so I know there are know like the right thing to do each case is individual mm -hmm. but you know i've had people come to me as a coach and talk to me about you know domestic violence and the fear of leaving and again financial fear mm -hmm. um this woman said ultimately the thing that she said silence keeps it in place yes. so she told her neighbor she told her co-workers she told the police she told her family mm -hmm. and that kind of blew it wide open and that's not necessarily going to say that the uh, abuser might still not come after her, but it kind of blew it wide open and gave her the doorway to walk through. Um, but so people come to you, let's mm -hmm. say finally, and I'm sure it takes something for them to come to you. What is it that you can say to them? Like, what are some of the steps that will allow them to take that next step? 
Well, the most important step that they've taken is to walk through our doors. Because I tell my clients that as soon as they walk through that front door, they are no longer a victim, they are a survivor. As soon as they walk through those doors because they recognize that something is not right. Sometimes they can't really put their finger on it, but they just know it's not right. And friends or family members or coworkers might say to them, why don't you go to Women's Space? They can work with you, they can help you. And sometimes we'll get a phone call. We do phone screenings first. And so sometimes on the phone, the caller will say, I don't really know if I'm in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting hit, but he's saying or she's saying these things to me. I said, you know what, sometimes what we'll do is come in, let's talk. And I, you know, usually we get a feeling that they're minimizing it. Mm. It's easier to minimize than to really accept, you know, maybe it's me, maybe I'm making a bigger thing out of it than it really is. And most times when they come in, we find that they have been minimizing it, and it's their way that they survive. Right. I suspect there's some shame associated with it as well. Because they feel it's something that they've done. So, Or also that they're embarrassed to tell mm -hmm. anyone, like, you know, what will they think of me? What exactly. will they think of my husband or wife or whatever? Um, so Women's Space, from what I understand, has like a 24-hour hotline, yes, yes? Mm -hmm. seven days a week, so people can call. And then when they walk in the door, and, you know, I remember you and I spoke earlier, and you talked about different kinds of abuse. Mm -hmm. So there is, you know, physical abuse, there is emotional abuse, and then you mentioned one that I never thought of, financial oh, abuse. Yes. So say a little bit about that. That's probably a very, very, um, that's really an insidious type of, of, of form of abuse because, you know, when you marry someone, just say, use marriage as an example. Um, when you marry someone, right, it's built on trust and respect in a healthy marriage, right? Right. So when your spouse tells you that, um, don't worry, you don't have to work anymore, I'm going to take care of the family, um, you just take care of the kids, um, and so on and so forth, over the course of time, it begins to like, well, you don't really need money for that, or you're not working, you don't deserve that. Um, and then additional abuse becomes even more prevalent. And before you know it, the names are taken off the accounts, they have to ask for money, even for gas, for food, they can't go food shopping, they're not allowed to go out. It's just, it, it, it escalates, again, like I said before, it escalates and intensifies over time, even that form of abuse. Many women that I've had, I'd say in the past year, um, were afraid to get a divorce because their husbands have said to them, you know, um, you won't get anything. I'm not gonna give you child support. I'm not giving you alimony, even though the, the court says that they're supposed to pay it. Um, you won't see the children. That's the other thing, fear of losing the children, custody. So it's very, very, um, it's very, very challenging. Where along the way, like, what are some of the signs women should watch out for, say, even in the arena of financial abuse? Mm -hmm. Like, what's a, a, an alternative? Where should they be looking? You mean, as far as, you mean as far as abuse goes? Well, again, you know, would you say to women, you know, d even if you're married and you choose to be a stay-at-home mom, mm -hmm. it's important for you to be part of financial decisions or... Right, you should be able to discuss finances. In a healthy relationship, it's a balanced relationship, right? Okay, so the breadwinner goes out, earns the money, you stay home, you watch the children, but you should be able to conduct 
the the usual um, uh, chores of, of of a homemaker, like food shopping, um, clothes for the clothes kids. for the kids, or, but, you know things like that, um, gift buying, and even shopping for things for the house, even buying some clothes for yourself, even being able to get your hair cut once in a while. There's nothing wrong with that. That's 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 the usual, you know, part of 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 living, right? And they're told you can't get a haircut. You're the reason why we're in financial ruin because you get your hair done. Well, you spend too much money on food. Um, so that should be kind of a red flag, yes. right? Mm -hmm. You always know when you're in a healthy relationship, right? When each one of you champions the other one, no matter what you do. Whether it's being a stay-at-home mom, a professional woman, um, whoever you are, you should be able to live your life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, <laughs> yes, and I think uh, part of uh, my experience is that um, there aren't that many people who do all of that in a healthy way. They do some pieces of mm -hmm. it in a healthy way, and I think that makes it easier for them to ignore the pieces that aren't healthy. It also depends on, you know, how they grew up. Sometimes, you know, when you grow up a certain way, that's your norm, right? So you think this is expected. And yes. so you don't think there's anything wrong with it until one day you wake up, something doesn't feel right. You know? yeah. And that's usually what happens. They wake up one morning and say, this doesn't feel right. I should be able to do this and I should be able to do that. And you're right. So we go through what are red flags? What do you think is healthy? You know, what is unhealthy? Sometimes they don't know. Sometimes they don't know. So can you list a few red flags? Certainly one of them is starting to control the finances right. to the point where they're treating you uh, like a child. Mm -hmm. And I'm the parent. I get to make financial decisions. Undermining parenting skills. Ah. Okay. Demanding certain things be done. Ridicule. Criticizing the house isn't clean, even though it might be. It's not done the way they want. Um, the food isn't on the table a certain time. Um, calling constantly, checking the bank account all the time, calling the person up, why did you go? I mean, they'll check the bank account. You just were at the store. Why did you have to go to the store? But meanwhile, they're at work. That alone, I mean, there's just different things, checking and checking and checking, and not wow. allowing the person to be independent and just going through life. You know, it, it's very hard for, I mean, it's even hard for me to be able to, to think about living. It's very hard. I really feel um, hard for, for clients, you know, because I, I don't know what that would be like, you know. Right. I can only imagine what that would be like for them on a daily basis. Some of them can't say where they're coming to counseling. They can't pay because they don't have, which is fine. We don't turn anybody away for an ability to pay. But they can't do anything without checking with their significant other whoever that might be. So how does one inspire them to, is it a long process? Is it, you know, in order to either leave that situation or Well, they need to it? make a plan. Mm -hmm. And safety is the most important thing. So if they're living with that person, that becomes really crucial, right? Safety. So you try to find ways for them to um, to get there, you know, maybe find a job, try to find different things like that, maybe to try to put some money aside. There's various things they can do as a safety plan. Um, take, you know, to put your papers in, in a place where um, is safe if you, have to, if you have to leave. 
Um, it's really, um, we use empowerment strategies. We use um, person-centered, um, humanistic, and empowerment strategies to show them that they can have a choice, they can make their own decisions. They just need someone to validate and support them. And that's really what we do. We never tell our clients what to do. We challenge them. Right, right. It almost sounds like a rebuilding process. Exactly, that's what it is. That's what empowerment is. And I, for me, I like to use the word choice a lot and, and help them reframe the thought process. If they say something really negative, like, well, what would it be like if we reframed it like this? I never thought of it that way. And so when they learn to start reframing things like that, it starts to give them more encouragement. We, one, of the, one of the tools that we, we have in our, um, in our agency is group. We have a drop-in mm -hmm. support group, and that is an extremely empowering um, you know, tool for a client to come in. Some people are a little um, kind of timid about speaking um, in front of other people, but once they do, they realize, wow, I'm not alone. Um, I'm not crazy. Um, there are other people going through what I went through. Abuse is abuse, right? It doesn't matter. Yes. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are, um, how much money, how little. It doesn't matter. It just matters that it's painful. Yeah. And what do you say, and that, that whole thing about group, you know, again, that's so powerful mm -hmm. uh, in any situation where you're going to a support group. It's because people really feel isolated and alone. And then they suddenly discover, oh, wait a minute, other people understand this. And I think also it provides them with the comfort of not feeling judged. Exactly. Yeah, and <clears throat> what do you say to people when they talk about, I don't want to leave because of the children? Well, then we talk about the impact it has on children. Many times um, individuals don't understand how it impacts these, these children, right? So they stay. And we find that children are acting out. Like, I say, what's going on at home? Can you give me some of the behaviors? So sometimes they're acting out, acting out in school, um, acting out at home, they're yelling. Those are all, you know, um, effects of what they see in the household. Um, we're finding more and more. We have a children's program at the agency, mm. so we, uh, we do have... Um, uh, when a mom is connected or the dad is connected to us, the children can be connected also. We find sometimes that when the behavior changes or the connection between mom and the child or dad and the child, you know, becomes a little um, less strained, you know, a little calmer, that the children's behavior changes also. But children are very much impacted. They become impacted even in utero. If you're in a domestic violence situation, even you know, at that point, children will be impacted even in utero. I, uh, I totally agree with that, but maybe you can explain a little how that happens. Well, the stress um, of, of the mom, mm -hmm. okay, the yelling, pushing around, and then when you have a newborn, right? Newborns have you know, that startle you know, um, yes. it's because they're getting used to sounds, but that startle um, effect doesn't go away so readily when it's, you know, when you're we're hearing that all the time. They don't sleep, the birth weight, you know, um, the weight, the irritableness. Babies can feel stress, even if you're not speaking stress. You know, if a mom is stressed out and you hold the baby, the baby's gonna cry because they're gonna feel it. They're not gonna feel safe and secure, right? Because she's stressed out. Um, when they're toddlers, 
Um, it could be potty training could be a problem. Um, learning disabilities. There are, um, there are studies which show that trauma does affect the brain in children, their learning capacity, their ability to learn and absorb and deal with. There is a difference, a trauma brain, there is such a thing as a trauma brain. Wow. And you know, I, uh, on the one hand, you know, when women say, uh, but what about my children? They're thinking of a roof over their head, or sometimes they say they need a, that other parent. Uh, but what you're pointing to is it does damage beyond what we see immediately. I would say it impacts it greatly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be fixed, you know what sure. I'm saying? But it does, it, it is impactful. And lots of times the mom said, well, you know, he's a good dad. And so, okay, he's a good dad, but is he a good dad when children see how he treats you? You know, and they'll think, I didn't think about that. You know, because there's that manipulation, again, using the children. That's what happened. The children become um, that, that pawn between the two of them, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And Especially in a divorce, up. if they end up yeah. separating. You know, um, if dad can't control mom directly, then dad will use child custody and visitation and buying things to do that. Wow, what a web. Mm -hmm. So what if you have women who come in and, uh, and as you say, you never tell them what to do? Correct. But what if someone is in the situation uh, I had a woman talk to me, and she was in the situation where she had no, what she perceived as earning capacity. And she was from a culture that frowned on divorce and was, would not be supportive of her leaving her spouse. Are there situations that are unresolvable? Well, I wouldn't say unresolvable, but I would say more challenging, like you just explained. So what we do is we help women to stay in that situation in a safe way and help them to emotionally disengage from what's going on so they can kind of deal with what they have to deal with until the time comes when they feel strong enough and, and have the ability to leave, whether they're supported from family or not. Not everybody's supported when they leave the house, you know, but mm -hmm. it's that, right, they, if you're so tied to that culture, you know, you're really torn between living in that kind of a situation and having your family, you know, kind of like be disappointed. So it's really, it's really, again, difficult and complicated. Yeah. So if you were going to kind of do a synopsis of <laughs> A, what to watch out for, and B, what are the most um, effective actions to take for someone in that situation? Well, again, the red flags would be control. It's all about powering children, feeling less than, um, not feeling like you're an individual, right? Um, being spoken to in a disrespectful way. Um, those are type, those are like the red flags. But the person needs to make that choice themselves. They really, they have to be able to make a choice as to what decision they want to make for their future. We as an agency can support them. We can, we can give them um, referrals to different places that can also help support them. But ultimately, they're the one that needs to make the choices because ultimately they know what they need to do to stay safe. Is there a particular um, 
person who is more vulnerable than others to this kind of situation? Well, you have a pregnant woman that's more vulnerable. You have someone who's disabled that's more vulnerable. Um, those two, um, someone who is economically dependent on someone else. There's a lot of different reasons. This, there's so many reasons why someone would be, be vulnerable. Even a woman who's working full-time is still vulnerable if she has to hand over her paycheck. Is there something, and we only have a couple of minutes, but, and I know you're not like the answer queen, you know, you, <laughs> <laughs> but you have a lot of experience. Do you have any thoughts about like premarital counseling? I, to me, it, it starts to make more and more sense. And I, I did once suggest it, suggest it to someone, and they said, well, what's wrong with our relationship? And I said, not necessarily anything, but kind of just to give you a heads up of some of the expectations. Well, I mean, that could be a temporary thing. I mean, but that's not always, you know, the answer. As a matter of fact, we don't even recommend couples counseling because that's potentially dangerous. Right. This is once the perpetrator yeah. is. So... It would say in, in, in that type of a situation, it might behoove each one to get their individual counseling to see what their personal issues are. And, and then once they settle their personal issues, then come together and work as a couple. Yeah, and, and again, but there's no particular personality type that... Abuse is a choice. Right, and what about the person who's being abused? Any particular patterns or... It's usually, if there's no pattern, um, you know, the, the victim will think, oh, it's something that I did, um, you know, I didn't look. The thing is, what happens with an abuser is they find a vulnerability, mm. okay, and they latch on to that. They tell the victim all the right things, mm -hmm. okay, and it usually takes about six months mm -hmm. for true colors to come true because you really can't hold... You, know, you really can't be that way for a long time if you're used to being a certain way, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, and once that happens, the victim's like, mm, she's so into it, you know, that what well, he is so into it that they don't, they don't know how to get out. But it wasn't like this in the beginning. When I first met that person, they weren't like that. And I think what we do is re unrealistically hang on to that yes. memory rather than no look at all the current evidence. Yes. Because that's what they'll say too, I still love him or yeah. I still love her. And I'll always say, is it the person or what they represent to you that you love? Is it, is it the, you know, when you're married, you know, it's, it's a forever, it's your forever after. And it's a dream, you know, and it's like this dream is like, no, I really love this person. Right. And so it takes them a while. To separate. I yes. love the dream. Unfortunately, we're at the end of our time, but thank you so much. I think it's important for women to a understand that they're not alone that it's not any particular segment of society that this happens to that there are warning signs to watch out for red flags and that there are resources yeah thank you donna oh. my name is natasha sherman thank you for joining us